big kits were 72 units. Uh, let me divide that by 27. So you would have two and a half days worth of growth from a 72-unit kit. What's up, guys? Today on Drugs and Stuff, high-dose growth hormone, and is it worth it? We're also going to tackle your listener questions. If you want to comment below, we'll tackle your questions on the next episode. Plus, comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. And so far, you guys have gotten us to 15,000 subscribers as of this weekend. So thank you much for your support. This week, we've got a guy who gets excessive daydreaming on DECA. I've never heard of that. Maybe you've heard of that. And if you have, let me know. Flushing on melanotin 2, a listener asks us, is his cycle too much for a cut? Oral Primo, high-intensity training, and a bunch more. Guys, we've got timestamps below if you want to skip around. Let's get to the program. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for great deals on uh, high-quality supplements. You can also go over to supplementsource.ca if you're in Canada. Get some blowout deals on some ephedrine. Welcome back to our family-friendly programming. Today, we're going to talk about drugs. No way? Oh, okay. What's up, Dave? How you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. We're going to get to the bottom of, uh, if you'll notice, Dave broke his wrist. Uh, we're going to get to the bottom of that today. Uh, we are, I haven't broken my wrist. He was pushed down the stairs. It was a domestic situation. Uh, <laughs> I, fell down the I am again. a battered husband. Yes, I am beaten. <laughs> Please send help. Uh, we're going to answer all of your listener questions, as we always do. Uh, and, and to start us out, our big theme of the day is uh, growth hormone. Uh, what can you expect from it? Can you can you dose it through the roof and turn into a freak, uh, or is it just a waste of money? Uh, we're going to talk about high dose growth hormone. Uh, what Dave's experienced, I can share my experiences. I haven't taken my GH as high as he has, um, and, and we can talk about you know what we've heard from other people's experiences too. Uh, Dave, when I first met you. We did an interview right after Under Construction 2, the film was out, and you told me that you were going to run your next cycle. It was just going to be test and growth hormone, I believe. And I believe if I recall correctly, you said the dosing was going to be farm grade 25 units of growth hormone a day. Do I have that right? Yes, yes and no. So it was UC2, and the dosing was 27. 27, okay. It's almost 30 I've units. Never, I've never done a cycle after UC2. How, um, how long did you run 27 units of farm-grade growth for? You know what? I don't actually know. And I know that sounds terrible. Um, I started off running... I can't even remember what I started at. And I just got to a point and it was like, right, let's just push this up. Um, and I, I had, I had whatever I had left in, in, in pens and I worked out the IUage against what time I had left and thought, right, so I can run 27 IU a day. So that's what I did. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. So I'm trying to think um, here, like in the context of I've used um, Humatrope before. 
and that the big kits were 72 units. Uh, let me divide that by 27. So you would have two and a half days worth of growth from a 72 unit kit. And that, those are like hundreds of dollars, dude. How, how did you manage this, dude? This is freaking nuts. And I guess, you know what? Let me ask you this. And, and we know the answer. Uh, you know, was it worth it? So the first thing was I was lucky enough to have a contact who is effectively or was at the time probably the biggest importer of GH in the UK. Okay. So I got very good prices from that alone. Secondly, the funding for the drugs came from the income from UC1. Oh, yeah. So so basically UC1 paid for the drugs for UC2. Okay. Um, so, um, but yeah, they were the genotropin pens. Um, as far as I'm aware, it was legit. I have no reason to doubt that, but, you know, it may not have been at the end of the day, or it may have been, you know, a, a lesser dosing pen relabeled as, because that's a common trick as well, you know, take a 36 IU, label it as a 72 IU, stuff like that. Okay. But but my understanding is, and I was reassured that they were genuine. Um, now, I'd started on lower doses, so it wasn't like I just went in at 27. Uh, and I'd kept creeping the dose up. And then eventually I just thought, I've got X amount left. I've got X amount left in the cycle. Fuck it. Let's, let's just see what it would do. Um, yeah. The problem really is at that point that the, the biggest thing, I mean, obviously the fullness from the GH was off the scale. Oh, I bet, man. Um, and the pumps, because I was dosing it all day long and through the night as well. I was getting up in the night and dosing as well. Um, so like the, the pre and post workout um, dosing as a result, the pumps were huge. Yeah, I bet. Um, no, I was using insulin at the same time. Um, and it was um, a Mylos derived protocol. Ooh, so it was a lot of insulin. Yeah, we were probably about 30 IU pre and, and between 70 and 100 IU post. Holy shit. Holy shit. Uh, big numbers. But there was huge amounts of uh, intranutrition going in as well. And it, it was when I could manage the water so the water stayed intramuscular. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> but that was a very that was a very fine line. Yeah. Um, what I didn't get, I did get fatigue, but then at that size, at four hundred pounds, you feel tired all the time anyway, so it's difficult to differentiate. I bet. Um, but, but what I did, um, so there was all that going. On. What I didn't get was I didn't get actually much in the way of joint pains or, or, or anything there. That was uh, that surprises not me. Not too. Now. Having spoke to other people, they've pretty much reported the same. If you graduate your dosing, those sort of sides are much, much less. I'd agree with that. And I can't speak at that level, but I would agree with that having used, I think the most I went to was using, um, um, no, I can't remember the name, uh, Hygetropins, the original Hyges. And uh, from what I understand, I had seen lab tests on these. Their 10-unit kits were testing out it being 13 units because they were in competition with 
the other hydrotropin, another company started. Do you know that? Do you know about this story? Hydrotropins no, came out, and then another I company. The original high. Yeah. You had the different ones. You had the black tops, and then you had the yellow tops, didn't you? And you had all the different colored tops. The, well, they had a different company. It was, there was like the .cn, and then there was another one that like another just underground company was like, hey, we're going to start making hydrotropins as well. But it was Dr. Lin had the original hygies, and they started dosing them higher to be better than now they're com- the, comp- the competition. Anyway, uh, I think I had gone to seven units, and I equate that to being about like nine. Plus, I was using – the way I dosed it was in the morning, I would use GHRP-6 – with uh, another peptide and then four hours later I would use that again and then four hours after that I would take my first shot of growth which would be pre-workout and then four hours after that I'd take my neck my my second shot of growth so I was on ballpark of like nine units plus the uh the peptides and I was using a um a research grade uh IGF-1 uh, pre or post workout, I can't remember. So, like, I had my numbers were up there pretty high. Like, my my IGF numbers, were through, you know, through the roof. But I didn't experience any of that either because I did the same thing, man. I worked up that dose slowly. I just am surprised you could work that dose all the way up to twenty seven and still not experience joint issues. You know, maybe I I I don't think I sustained it for more than sort of four weeks. So okay. okay. There is the possibility if I'd continued, it would have would have worsened. Um, the irony of it all was, I was really struggling with composition at that time, um, and I was well. What I was really struggling with was water. Uh, kidneys were struggling. Water was going out down the toilet. You know, I mean, I was just getting messier and messier. But it was very volatile. Um, yeah. So the way I look could change dramatically from day to day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at the end of all that, I was admitted to hospital because my kidneys had failed. Well, they were borderline failing. Um, I spent five days on IV diuretics. Now, I went into hospital at 415 pounds. The, I came out at 355. Holy shit. With visible abs. Holy shit. Now, they weren't, don't get me wrong, they weren't, you know, we're not talking. No, you're not contest. Yeah. But you could see the outside edge. You could see the separation in between each level and the top four, faintish going into the third line. Um, Now, whether the growth had any influence on that condition at that point, but at the same time, I had been bringing my calories down because I was trying to, do something with the poor condition, obviously not realizing how much of that condition was just shitty water. Yeah. Um, from a performance point of view, my performance went backwards. Uh, from a muscle point of view, considering that the amount of drugs I ran in UC2 and the peak strength elements I hit in UC2, um, I would have said I probably came out of the back of that with less muscle than I went into it, or at least very little change. Holy shit. So uh, I guess conclusions on high dose growth, you know, a spoiler, we we've talked about GH a ton of times and I feel like you, you, we, I feel like you got burnt basically. Like you're like, man, I spent all this money and it didn't end up being of great benefit. Uh, What are are your thoughts though? I, I don't feel 
like there was any burning in any way, shape or form because it was all a learning experience. It was all, you know, there was no one saying, I, I mean, um, Jay Cutler had gone on record saying the only, you know, the limitations of growth is how much you can afford. Yeah. And everyone had this attitude with growth that if you could afford to take huge doses, you were going to grow insanely. And, yeah. and obviously, in my experiment, I can't – there were other factors. There were other things going wrong. There were other things going on. So I can't wholly say that growth hormone didn't do a thing. But the net result did not live up to the hype in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, I've played with growth at various other doses prior to that. I've dealt with client, and I find that growth has its position, but like a lot of things in what we do, it's actually better at lower doses. Uh, and you find that the sweet spot with these things, you know, low dose insulin frequently with meals, low dose GH actually is more productive than trying to wham huge amounts in. Um, I, the, the size, if I was just looking to physically look enormous, then the impact of high growth and high insulin was phenomenal. And if I earned my living by being massive, then they would be in a very attractive package. And I know Rich exploited that package quite a lot. And he actually did discuss it in some of his videos that whenever Rich was going to a, an expo, he would run a three, three to four week protocol of GH and insulin so that he turned up at the, the event bigger and much fuller. And what we were talking about is we're talking 15, 20 pounds bigger and fuller. Yeah. And, and the thing too, is what we're talking about is a guy like yourself or a guy like him, they're already, you're already big. You have a lot of space to store that fluid uh, for someone who's smaller, say a 190 pound guy tries to do that. You know, he might see five or six pounds versus a 300 pound guy. It, I could see 20 pounds of fluid in the muscle, man. That would be, that would be like, like mind blowingly different, you know? Yeah. Easily 20 to even 30 pound of glycogen and water stored in the muscle from an insulin and growth protocol on someone who's already around the 300 pound mark, easily achievable and very impressive from a point of view of a visual impact. Yeah. Not particularly from a, a stage element, but just from a visual impact. Like big and, in a t-shirt, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, and if that's how you earn your living, then then without doubt that it is a very useful tool. Yeah. What I don't see from it, and I have never seen from it in anyone that's done it, is sustained muscle. Now, I've seen hundreds, probably even thousands of online claims They've done insulin, they've done growth, they've put £20 on, they've put £30 on, they've put £35 on. And then they, when you dig into that, you start to find that post that, they lost £25, <laughs> they lost £30, yeah, and none yeah. of it was sustained. Um, I mean, even JP, when he ran with my loss, which we ran about the same time, JP at the time was the biggest he'd ever been in the off-season. He was, you know, not by now standard because he's progressed even further, but yeah. at that time he was the biggest. I think it was the first time he went over £300. And, um, but he himself, when he stepped on stage after that off-season with my loss, he was no different 
from a weight point of view, and not particularly different from a condition point of view, there was virtually no change in his physique. But he also said that it was the hardest prep he'd ever done. Okay, so let me ask you this then. Um, you mentioned you know more moderate dosing. You're talking about like insulin being you know more frequent. You know with meals, small doses, with the growth hormone. Having had all the experiences you've had, uh, seeing the high doses using moderate doses, seeing what everybody else has achieved. What would you say now would be your thoughts dosing wise on growth hormone? What would be ideal? I think the most ideal dosing I ever ran was four to six IU every other day. And that was Anson and PM pre-bed. Yeah. 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 That to me yielded the best balance of health benefits, sleep benefits, general well-being i felt fantastic on that i i i held good condition i felt fantastic sex drive was insane a lot of people don't associate gh with sex drive but it has a really big impact i've heard people say um, that before <clears throat> yeah he can uh, and, and i've i've i felt amazing on that and that that was the best it was a uh, more of a long-term investment but that was definitely the best protocol and, and I would always, depending on the quality of growth, fame for most people, obviously muscle mass plays a role in dosing, but somewhere between the two to four IU, PM, every other day, works, so in my opinion, as good as anything. If you like big, huge pumps when you train, then you can add it pre-workout you're going to get huge pumps you are going to get an increase in nutritional uptake there is going to be some benefits there i'm not sure in the real world how much that would carry out into increased development i'm not sure it would have that big an impact uh but the pm definitely great recovery uh, and am as long as she's not putting you to sleep at 12 o'clock 11 o'clock in the morning um, AM faster pre-cardio is a, an excellent combination for fat loss. Yeah. I just spoke with a guy named Lats. He's one of the original super moderators over at uh, Professional Muscle. For those of you guys who don't know Professional Muscle, it's a source board, uh, U.S.-based, I believed, I believe. And a lot of pros have come up posting on that board. Um, it, it was more than just gear talk. There's there's a lot of talk that was you know good bodybuilding conversation there and education. Anyway, uh, Lats had seen you know everybody has seen everybody has seen all the sources there. He's seen everybody experimenting over the years. I'd say you know 10 15 years ago, like 2006, when I was learning a lot about GH, that's when guys were dosing it like 10 units a day uh, consistently. And that, that, that was kind of like the high-end dosing. And guys were definitely using more than that. But I'd say like 10 units a day, which is usually like a whole vial of a generic, that was common. Um, I don't know if Lats had tried that, but what he had said is he came to conclusions similar to you. That, you know, no more than, I think he said four to six units per day. But he didn't go every other day. He said per day. And that that's going to be about where you max out. And I think that I think that this is good information to share because... I think that a lot of us we wanna we wanna assume that like there is something more. You know what I mean? There is like another thing we haven't tried, and that could unlock all this magical growth. Uh, but the reality is, I, I I think it 
it could be beneficial. I'm right with you though. I, I think you'll get increased recovery. And if that increased recovery helps you to train better and you're doing everything else right and you're on gear, maybe using some insulin, then maybe, yeah, you will grow faster. And if not, you know, well, if nothing else too, you'll stay leaner in the process. Uh, but it's not going to be like taking D-ball. You know, you're not going to, you're never going to get gains from growth hormone the way you would out of like a test deck of D-ball cycle, you know? I think what people don't recognize, um, and, and it, it, it's the process of growth, of growing, is complex. And it involves lots of different mechanisms. Supercharging one of those mechanisms is not going to compensate for the other mechanism that it relies on, either pre that or post that. So for argument's sake, say growth hormone was this amazing growth factor, this growth hormone was this amazing anabolic agent, even if it was, you're not going to put the tissue on unless you can consume the food. Yeah. And you'd need to consume the food, you need to be able to digest the food. So your gut needs to be able to cope with the volume of food. Also, your nutritional transit needs to work correctly. Uh, and all these things come into play. So it's never a single process. So we, we've we had this attitude, and I think we've all been there, where we've always said, well, you know, we've looked for a single solution. We've always looked for, well, let's take loads of this, or let's take loads of that. Yeah. And, and the, the truth is that actually it's not loads of anything but this more synergistic wholesome let's tweak every process within the system we can only tweak it so much because we have limitations within our bodies of how far we can push these systems but if we tweak everything up 15 percent, the net yield of that is absolutely incredible i would agree 100 percent and I do think that's the approach that the Kuwaiti boys take. And it takes time, I think, to figure those things out. You know what I mean? Like it takes time and experimenting with each individual piece and figuring out how that fits into your personal, you know, stack profile. Hmm. Right. Uh, but it, it is it is the attention. It, it's we are played with too much attention to detail and too much attention to science. Yeah. And it can be very detrimental. But at the same time, it is about doing lots of little things consistently that all add up into a big thing because they all complement and support each other. I would agree with that. All right. Listen, let's move on because we have a bunch of listener questions that you guys posted over on YouTube. Listen, guys, by the way, I didn't mention it, but uh, if you are new here, I encourage you to hit the subscribe button because we have several bodybuilding podcasts coming out each week. You can see Dave Crossland on the regular. Look at that smiling face. Look at how happy he is to be here right now. Look at that. You guys are making Dave's day. I got a weird question here. Um, I kind of see where he's coming from, but I wanted to ask you. I thought it'd be a fun conversation. Uh, I've never heard this in my life. Many people complain. No, many people complain about excessive daydreaming on NPP DECA at 300 plus milligrams per week. You like DECA. Did you do some daydreaming on DECA? Not that I recall. Um, <laughs> but you have to remember that high dose DECA is also very damaging to your memory. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you just forget. You don't remember. 
Dune. Yeah. I, no, I have, I have seen, and it is a, a small number, but I have come across a few people that are sensitive to Decker from a mental health point of view. Yes. Um, yes. I've never heard anybody complain about daydreaming. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it may be happening. It's just not something that's come across my path. But I have heard people say that they struggle with Decca from, from various other problems within their mental health. Um, I don't think it's common, and I think most people tolerate Decca particularly well. Um, but but I so there there's a there's definitely you know a possibility of something in there. I mean, Decca is neurologically quite impacting in the same way as Tren is, um, and that's to do with the fact of how they bind. Yeah. So, so there's, there's, and we know Decker lowers dopamine transport proteins. We know it has an impact on dopamine levels. And that's what I wonder if there's something in there. You know what I mean? If there's mm. something in there that's causing some sort of this guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I could see it, man. I remember uh, somebody asked me on a uh, Instagram Q&A that I did. He said uh, why he's, he noticed he was experiencing a lot of jealousy on Decker. He said, like, he's usually a chill guy. But then he starts taking Decca and he starts feeling insecure and he starts getting jealous of his girlfriend. Uh, and, and, and I don't know, man. You know, it's... Excuse me, I've, I can I've see heard, it triggering some weird stuff. I've heard of women complaining of being very horny on Decca. Women, females on Decca? Yeah. Uh, it seems to be a trait that is common with females is it makes them incredibly horny. Huh. Well, guys, don't get any so, ideas. Don't don't get any every, ideas. Every, don't put any Decca in your girlfriend's cereal. Everyone there is trying to reject his missus with yeah. Decca. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Robert Taylor says, uh, I am a pretty tall bloke. He's speaking your language. I think he's from here in the U.S., but he said bloke. I think he's trying to relate to you, Dave. Uh, 6'1", looking to do a show this year, but a couple of questions for you. Is 6'1", too tall for a light heavyweight? Two is 198 pounds too light for six one classic division. I, I believe he's a masters too. So from a point of view of light heavy, height has nothing to do with it. It's weight. So you're not too tall, you're too light, or you're not you're too heavy. It's as simple as that. Yeah, but I think he means um, like would can you you can't be a let me put it this way. You can't be a good light heavyweight at six one in order and it depends on your goals if you're at a state level show you know being a respect like you if you're completely peeled then you know maybe you'll look okay up there but the reality is is that i'm five seven or less and i'm top end a light heavyweight and i still could use to move up 10 pounds to look my best you know it's like, yeah so but I've, i was gonna say a fully developed six foot one frame is gonna be super heavy yeah, yeah. Yeah, for that, you to be like that. national level bodybuilder, yeah. you've got to be big, real big. Um, is 198 too light for the classic class? Uh, obviously, the classic class would suit the lighter physique due to your height. Uh, but again, that's going to be down. I, I can't remember, and I know every Fed has slightly different classic qualifications in the height to weight ratio thing. But... For argument's sake, if the the weight limit on your height is 220 and you're 198, well, the answer's obviously there. You're potentially giving away 22 pounds to your competition. That's a lot of muscle to lose to somebody on stage. Yeah. Unless yeah, you are one of these weird people that size defies their body weight, 
which they do exist. I've come across a few. Um, then you know you've got to look at what the upper weight limit is for your class and just recognise that potentially your competition is going to come in at that upper weight limit because that's what people do. They try and maximise their weight for the class so they can come in as big as they can possibly get for that class. Yeah. Um, so you would potentially be giving up quite a weight. It doesn't mean you can't compete, enjoy the process, get experience. It just means that to fully fill your frame is going to take some time. I'd agree. But when a six foot one guy does fully fill his frame, it, it does generally look so much more impressive than a five foot seven guy with a fully filled frame. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to see if I could add anything, but I got nothing. Um, I think you said it all. Uh, he says a uh, question for the next episode. This is uh, Neven from Canada, by the way. He says, I just recently started experimenting with melanotin 2. The first time I took it, I experienced red flushing all over my body. Is this normal? Uh, the second time I took it, there was nothing. Why the red flushing the first time and not the second time? Is it possible that it's niacin? If it's the same vial with the same backwater, it's unlikely to be niacin. It could be some form of... I mean, you'd say some form of intolerance reaction. Well, I'm losing you, Dave. I think I understood um, what you're saying, but I'm, I'm losing you. I'm not sure. Or one shot and not the next, though, or vice versa. I'm losing you, Dave. I'm losing our connection here. Yeah, it's gone. Very- I'm gone. I'm gone. Dave's gone. Dave left us. He'll call back in a second. He always does. Hang tight, guys. And I'll show you some stuff while Dave's gone. He'll probably call right back. This is a Glock 45. Oh, he's back. All right. We'll do show and tell another day. Here he is. He'll probably be clear now. Or there will be no picture at all. There is that. Oh, there he is. Hi. Hello. 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 Welcome back to your program. Hey, you leave our 56K dial up alone. <laughs> how, how, is it, how are we looking and sounding oh, now? Sick. Oh, I think we're not good. I think that Dave's wife must be downloading a movie right now. And she's using she's using all the internet up. Uh, they only have so much internet to go around in the United Kingdom, unfortunately. Uh, so his neighbor actually may be downloading a movie. Or watching porn, you know, high, you know, 4K stuff. And with that, uh, it's interrupting our podcast. We'll see if he tries back again. Uh, if you guys do have any questions, feel free to toss them up. I have a feeling we'll be able to connect back with Dave, but if not, uh, I can still answer the questions that are in the live feed here. Alfonso has a good one about uh, thoughts on leg press. Uh, if you don't have a problem with higher volume squats and deadlifts, I know he's building a gym right now, but he's restarting his computer, by the way, it says, what are your thoughts on leg press? If you don't have a problem with higher volume squats and deadlifts, is the leg press necessary and in some ways not optimal for strength and growth? I think there's a time and a place for a leg press. 
And if you are thinking about building out your own home gym with a leg press, man, first of all, dude, they take up a lot of space. Uh, my leg press is six feet wide by, I think, nine feet long. In the wide, you still have to have three additional feet on either side. So it takes up a lot of freaking space. Let's see here. David's back. Hey, that looks better. How you doing? I'm okay. Changed, uh, changed, uh, provider. All right. So we were talking about melanotin. I, I do think you get, I think cause you, you can get that flushing that's common with melanotin, especially if you're not used to it and you do get adjusted to it over time. You think maybe he just got a used to it uh, on the second dose. It seems a bit strange on the second dose. The only other thing I can think of is, and it sounds a bit odd, but and I'm not sure it's even viable. I've just a thought. If he's just reconstituted the powder, mm -hmm. and he's not allowed it long enough time to reconstitute correctly, it is potential that he's drawn out a highly concentrated element of that fluid for his initial oh. injection. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it, it it's because the it is it is um, I'm I'm stretching here. I really am. Yeah. you know, sort of thinking way out of the box here to try and come up to earth. I find it very strange that the first shot was a problem and the second wasn't. If yeah. there was a, a similar reaction but lessened, then I would have said it's more an adaptive process. But I find it odd that one's bad and one's not. I think if you. If he gives if it more shots, now, we'll give shit. yeah, and if he gives it more shots, I have a feeling that he'll have various different levels of experience with it. Like, I found that it wasn't consistent for me, that sometimes I would flush more than others. Uh, so he may not flush on that shot, but who knows, the following shot, he may flush more. I don't I don't think that there's going to be, like, a, you know, over time, I think you flush less from it, but uh, I would say that it, it's not necessarily 100% consistent. Uh, also, I'll add that uh, the lower dose you use, the less you'll flush. So back in the day, we used to do a milligram a day to load it every day and then do a milligram a few times, a couple times a week to maintain. I would say I'd even use less, like 250 micrograms per shot every day. And you're not even going to hardly feel that by comparison. So there you go. So, all right. What else we got here, Dave? I was telling people, Dave, that you're, uh, you guys only have so much internet to go around in the UK. And so that your neighbor may be downloading a movie or something like that. You said, you said my wife was downloading the movie. She may have been, it may have been your wife. It may have been a neighbor. It could have been a neighbor watching some high quality porn that required a lot of bandwidth. It's that, that's probably more likely. That's probably more likely. Don't judge everybody by your low CD standards. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I just acquired some Clen, 40 micrograms, Winnie, 20 milligrams, and Primo, 50 milligram tablets. Uh, also, he's on T4 at 150 micrograms. Um, from my doctor, T3, 75 micrograms, test 750, trend 600 uh, uh, for a cut. Uh, is this too much? He's never done Clenner T3 before. So he's basically going with the kitchen sink approach here, Mr. Frederick. 
um, that does seem to be a lot. Um, and it does very much seem to be, let's just throw a bit of everything at it. Um, I'm assuming he's on T4 as a medicinal requirement from his doctor. Yeah. I'm guessing so. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, uh, the, the only thing I, I, I really don't like, I, I've got an issue with running Clen and T3 together there. In fact, I think they're quite a nice little combo. Yeah. Um, I'm wary of that trend dose. I, th I think that's high. But I don't like the, the combination because if you want to increase the clen, you've got to increase everything else. Oh, it's all mixed together. You just have no control over it. You know? Yeah, yeah, they're mixed tablets. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, that's not good, man. 40 micrograms of clen, 20 winnie, and 50 premium. No, that's fucking awful. So huh. if you want to go up to 0.8 clen, you're going to be taking 40 winnie and 100 make a primo what do you think about oral primo for men which i wouldn't be you know what i have no experience with it it's not something i've ever even come across it's not methylated in all my time of use i've never seen oral primo yeah it's mm -hmm. not it's not methylated either from what i understand the bioavailability no. is trash I mean, Primo at the moment seems to be a very popular drug, definitely decided upon. I don't know what it's like over there, but everybody's jumping on the Primo wagon uh, and everybody's running very high-dose Primo. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I don't get it. I, I, I just don't get it. I would use so. I'm not saying Primo's not a good drug. It has its place like everything does, but people seem to think, well, I run a gram of Primo, because it's a low impacting drug. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're still running a fucking grammar stuff. Yeah. You know, or, or I, I, I just, I say, it just doesn't defies logic to me. It's, oh, well, it, it doesn't have a lot of side effects, so I can run stupidly, you know, stupid high doses of it. Yeah. Uh, sort of not really the correct logic in my head, but never mind. Uh, we appreciate you guys hanging with us, even though Dave's uh, signal is not the best today. We'll try to get through another question or two. We'll probably have to wrap up a little early today because it's uh, uh, we're the signal is pretty rough. Uh, but we do have a couple more here. I'll just try to get through one or two more. Uh, okay. He says, hey, Christmas Cabbage and the two other guys. He also adds, yes, Rehan Denak. Wait, de Decock. Rehan Decock. There's no, it's, yes, it's cock. Yeah. Is my real name. He's from South Africa. Rehan Decock. Huh. Rehan Decock. Rehan Decock. You're just going to keep saying that name now, are you? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how would you say, yeah. I, I like to put it all together, like Rehan Decock. I don't know. It's an interesting name. That just though. sounded like rear-handed rear cock then. Dude, you know how many jokes he's probably heard in his life about his name? I don't know. He bit South Africa. That might be Smith. For yeah, time. that's true. That's true. Uh, okay, so he says, two-part question. Training first. What are your thoughts on Mike Menser and his uh, training style? And guys like Dr. Doug McGuff, 
who wrote Body by Science, who uh, do once a week, 10 minutes training sessions, uh, super slow. Oh, he did the super slow reps, uh, 10 second concentric and eccentric movements. Have you ever tried? I have heard you guys talk about doing super slower uh, controlled reps, specifically the start. So why not just take it to its logical conclusion and do it very slowly for the added intensity and safety? Dave always raises the fact that he is lazy, you know, that uh, that so that wait. So why not uh, do that kind of training? He's calling this the lazy man's training. So TUT, which is what you're referring to, and I've always run a tempo of 5.5, five, is definitely not fucking lazy man's training. It hurts like a motherfucker. Yeah. And at the end of the day, any training, if you're wanting to stimulate maximum growth, you're going to failure. Huh. Yeah. Uh, high intensity stuff definitely isn't based around TUT. Okay. I don't think, I don't, did Mike Menzer ever do TUT? It, it's all about that one all out, nothing barred, everything set. Listen, I got to stop you for a minute here. Uh, I know you guys nowadays, all the young people, you use a lot of acronyms, abbreviations, but I wanted to clear this up. TUT, you mean time under tension, correct? Bear with me here. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to be clear. Yeah, no, I don't think he did. I don't think he was a time under tension guy. I think he, you know, he used control with everything he did, slow negatives and all that, but it was more about that progression There's being progressive. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, no form of lazy training is going to get you progress. Mm. You want to mm -hmm. progress, you're going to need to push hard. Yeah. TUT, if done correctly, is far from fucking lazy. And I use TUT pretty much exclusively with all my clients as a, a, in the initial pages so that they learn to feel how the muscle feels when it's being worked correctly. That makes sense. I like that. Um, TUT, TUT will initially give you a very good response because for most people, it's the first time that muscle has been fully worked through the full range. Yeah. Um, but it's not something that I would suggest you can stay in form-wise forever in a day. Yeah. Um, it's learn to connect, learn to engage the muscle, learn to feel it through the full range, and then push more load. But, I mean, you know, with TUT, you can go heavy or relatively heavy. Um, I remember it's a very old study, and Scott probably will know it. Um, not you, other Scott. Clever Scott. Not not lumberjack Scott. Um, but there was a study on time under tension. And they they said there was a there was a little bit of a, 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 a sort of the slower the rep, the more muscle fiber engagement there was, but the sacrifice and cost of stress. Okay. Uh, and yeah. so what the problem was that the slow reps recruited a lot of muscle fiber, but then the load wasn't heavy enough to stimulate an adaptive response. Yeah. And so it was always a, a, a bit of a balance, more muscle recruitment, but not enough stress to create an adaptive response. So it ended up being that you needed a hybrid system. You needed TUT backed up with some heavy work in order to get the best out of both movements.
Um, I can see that. Hit, true hit is productive. Casey Vallee has shown us that. Mike Menz has shown us that. And there was a guy before them whose name I always forget. Uh, Dorian was hit-ish, but he had more volume. Uh, and But the problem is that a lot of people just... Oh. 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 Uh, I apologize, guys. I got I, I, nothing I can do here, you know? If I could get Dave a better connection i would uh let's see here maybe this will fix it maybe it'll be brand new oh wow he looks his best yet hi so i was saying not a lot of people can generate the intensity to get progress from him yeah i'd agree and, and I, I do think that a lot of the problems we have with the lack of intensity in training today has spawned from Dorian's era huh. because everybody moved to doing hit work, but not everybody, in fact, a large number of people didn't understand the intensity required to make that style of training progressive. I couldn't agree more. And so we ended up with a load of people training one body part a week with the, the fucking, you know, luster of a wet mop. And as a result, progression slowed. And people start to lay heavier into the drugs to compensate for that. Hmm. <clears throat> I would agree 100%. That's why training is so popular, because a lot of people, they just don't train hard enough. So they don't realize how fucking horrible it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I still, you know what? I see it today, Dave, with the, you know, because here's the deal. So uh, when I get a new client, and I, and I, you know, just like you, I think both of us probably, we get a large cross section of people with various levels of experience. And a lot of times, I'm not talking about advanced competitor clients, but I'm talking about people who, you know, they, they want to put on a bunch of muscle clients that are average gym goers, and then they hire you. I'll look at their training and there's a lot of people that are doing a top set back offset style of training because that's what's really popular right now. But their top set is not taking it to the extreme. They're not taking it to the failure they need to take it to in order to get everything they can out of only doing two sets for a body part. But the other thing is the back off set is a back off on load. It's not a back off on intensive. Yes, correct. Yeah. So so your top set would be potentially five to 10 reps, maybe five yeah. to eight reps, heavy load. Your back off set will still be to failure, but it may be 12 plus reps. Yeah. And it's going to, and if anything, man, I feel like those hurt worse, honestly, because you can take it further. They're mentally more challenging, definitely, because the discomfort starts much earlier on. Yeah. Um, heavy work tends to be more intimidating. So it's mentally challenging from a fear factor because you're using big loads. Yeah. But the volume or volume work that's intense and taken to failure it, it is difficult because you're constantly visiting that area of pain and everything in our body is telling us to run away from pain. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. All right. Let me see. I'm going to jump into. I'm so sorry. My internet is so shit. That's all right, man. Well, we'll I, here's what I want to do. Let's leave the rest of the questions we have. Uh, and we, we do have a couple in the live feed and since these people have, 
uh, joined us on the live feed. I figured, uh, why don't we just run through those for them since they they put the work and the effort in to hang out with us today. Vincent Ford, the guy with the pug, he says, uh, what's the thing about Ment becoming uh, popular again? I thought Ment was about years ago and was phased out due to it being unpopular back in the day. But now Ment, Acetate, and Anethate seem easily sourced once again. Uh, is it something worth trying for uh, keepable strength gains? I think from a strength point of view, Ment's a, a, a pretty pretty good compound. Yeah, um, It's definitely one of the drugs I look at for, for powerlifters and strongman and, and that sort of ilk. It is a bit of a twat to manage because of its high aromatization. Yeah. Um, so you've really got to watch your region. But it's a good, solid strength compound, and it will yield you very good strength gains. If you're going to keep those strength gains, is more a basis of your training than your drug use. Yeah, I would agree with that. A drug is not going to favor a maintenance of muscle mass gained or a maintenance of strength gained drugs don't have they virtually have no impact in in that staying power of those achievements that's down to how you train yeah um all right oh look at this it says uh just got my blood work done for the first time thank you guys for the information especially the cabbage so I think we had uh, we we talked him into getting some labs done, which is I think a good idea for anybody who's in bodybuilding, enhanced or otherwise. We should have gone to should have gone to eval. Uh, yeah, the guy that owns it's all right, no bit. <laughs> he's got a terrible internet connection. That guy, uh, Dave, I am a wuss and I faint. Every time I have blood drawn and I feel like crap the rest of the day, are the fingertip prick or saliva tests worth having done? Finger prick are okay. Um, they are relatively stable for things like hormones, but they are fucking terrible for things like kidney function and red blood values. Okay. Uh, the problem with fingerprint is a lot of people just don't give enough blood. Oh. You're gonna need a couple of mil. You're gonna need a couple of mil in that tube. Oh uh, fuck! And if you're not putting a couple of mil in that tube, no, you've got to get quite a bit out. Yeah. Uh. I mean, you think how much blood's put into a tube when you have an IV when you have a, a, a venous blood draw? Yeah. They don't do that much for the blood f Did for the fingerprint. They, they do? No, but you should have a lot. You do need, you do need a decent amount. A lot of fingerprints go wrong <sighs> because the people just don't put enough blood into the sample. I figured it'd be like one drop and that's it. No? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I was serious. I didn't. Uh, and, and, a little tip as well for people that do do home drawing for their bloods. Yeah. When you've got the bloods in the tube, rotate them 180 degrees slowly at least 10 times. Yeah. So each tube has an additive, and that additive is relative to what that tube is viable for for what it's testing. Okay. 
So some have coagulant agents, some have anticoagulant agents in. Uh, that's why they're color-coded, because certain tests react differently to the additives, and that's why those tubes can't be used for certain tests. Oh. If you mix the sample by rotating the tube, you mix your sample with the additive, and therefore keeping that blood sample fresher and stable for longer. Okay. One of the big issues with postal bloods is that the samples just deteriorate by the time they get to the lab. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, you have a lot of experience with uh, doing lab work for people. Uh, have you ever had somebody pass out on you? Regular. Regular, really? It happens that often. Regular. Um, so we, we get it with blood testing and we get it with blood letting. Um, it's a shock reaction. They are not passing out because of the physical lap block of blood. They are passing out because of their thought association with the removal of blood. Ah, uh, okay. So they go into shock. Yeah. You can actually physically see this in certain people. If you get a customer who's scared of needles and they'll get into the, into the chair and they'll put their arm out and you'll see lovely veins sat there, you know, really nice, plump, fat, juicy veins. Perfect. You get the needle out and as you go, the veins literally disappear into the, the arm. <sighs> that is a fear factor. It actually does happen. People will retract their vascularity when they're scared. Huh. Okay. It, it's all part of our basic survival instincts. So yeah. when pe people say, oh, I have bloodlet and I pass out, it's not because of the loss of blood. It, no. it, it's because of the shock. Of yeah, the, the fear. association you have with losing blood. Yeah. Um, are you... You'd be surprised the names that have gone wonky in my chair. Yeah. Big dudes. Big dudes that I would know. Oh, you're yeah. Saying. I'm not telling you. I'll, I'll tell you off air. Ah. You guys will have to just yes, guess. You guys will have to guess. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else here? <clears throat> I, I think that may have been it. Uh, we did have a question. I started answering it from Alfonso. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on leg press? If you don't have a problem with higher volume squats and deadlifts, is the leg press necessary and in some ways not optimal for strength and growth? I, I, while you were away, Dave, I was answering this and, and I one thing I didn't add was uh, uh, that I think the leg press can be beneficial because after you're done with your squats, you can continue to push with a movement like a leg press. Is it my primary uh, leg growth movement? Probably not, but it is a great secondary movement, and it's also great to, if you have a back injury that you can still train legs hard with a machine. Um, you know, on, on a day that you're not up for squatting. I do, yeah. I think a lot of people on the leg press lose sight of range. I've seen quite recently as well some absolutely horrendous videos on people leg pressing yeah um and it is possible to get quite a decent range on a leg press but you need the the, the flexibility in order to be able to do that and if you don't have the flexibility you you are going to struggle but it does allow you to really focus on the quad because you don't have to concentrate about the bar on your back you don't have to concentrate about your body position. You're just sat down and pushing a press, you know, a plate. You're pushing a, a platform away from you. 
So as a result, you can switch off and just purely focus on what you feel in the quad. Yeah. Um, exactly. If you want to try it, guys, next time you leg press, go really slow on the negative. Close your eyes. Get rid of all outside stimulation. Really slow on the negative. Really feel the quad. Yeah. And then when you get to the bottom of your movement, momentary pause, and then just using that feeling, yeah. nothing else, using pain you generated, push that that platform away from you. And you will find a huge uptake in the engagement you get in the quad from leg press. I would 100% That's much agree. harder to do in a squat because you're also focused on the bar, chest, yep. head position, and everything else. I would say the same thing is true for any good machines, you know, like maybe I I would use, say, my dumbbell press as my primary chest movement. But after I've done that, you, there's a lot of benefit to using a machine as my secondary movement where you don't have to stabilize anymore. And all you have to do, like you were saying, is visualize the fact that you're pushing. Think about the pec and the stabilization is taken care of. There's there's a lot to be said for that. I I saw a video of somebody wearing a, a, a Scott mask using some reasonably heavy dumbbells with some actually very good form the other day. Thank you. I pride myself on on that form, man. I I'm trying to get stronger again, and um, I I am going to insist on keeping that technique. You know what I mean? I I don't want to I don't want to risk getting hurt. So if I can use impeccable form on my presses as I increase, then I can at least reduce that risk. So who was the guy that did the press for you? Uh, that was my mom. She just put a Scott mask okay. on. Yeah. Uh, impressive all right so we've been getting this question we'll finish with this one uh oh and and by the way uh vincent ford uh says cheers and austin says thanks dave uh yeah the fainting thing is pretty common it's called vaso vaso vague oh vassal vagal uh synop according to google uh, I, I don't know what I just said, but I sounded dumb. Uh, anyway, um, laser. Your vascular your your reflex causes a sudden drop in blood pressure. Yes. That. Which is a reason what makes you go lightheaded. Okay. So uh, we'll finish with this because laser asked last week, although I told him we just talked about this like one or two episodes ago. It might've been on the episode we put out yesterday, laser. Uh, but for him, since he is one of our Patreon people, could you go over Primo? Uh, you were going to go over test to primo ratio and minimum test so primo doesn't lower your E2 too much. So he's saying he doesn't want his E2 to get lowered uh, with primo. I, I think there is a bit of this, having looked at this a little bit more in recent days, I actually think there's a little bit of a sliding scale here. Okay. So at lower doses, I would probably go ratio of one to one. Okay, like three hundred and three hundred, then maybe. But I, yeah, but I think once you go over four hundred in primo, its impact on estrogen does seem to become greater. Okay, okay. Um, it does, but the problem is, is my data is based on blood values, which is based on UGL drugs. Uh. So I've always got that big caveat, is it dosed correctly? I don't know if it's dosed correctly. I don't know, you know, if they're using a quality compound. 
Yeah. Um, but I, I've, yes, I, I would be wary of going above. I definitely, once you get test to 300, I wouldn't exceed a ratio of two to one pre-motor test. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'd go one to one until you get up to about three, four hundred, and then you could potentially over three hundred, four hundred, you could potentially go two to one. But do bear in mind that as Primo gets higher, it does appear to get more effective. Okay. So the difference of six hundred Primo against four so say six hundred Primo four hundred test. The impact on estrogen, if you went Primo to 800, would be significantly greater than the 200 milligrams you've increased. Uh, okay, I could see that then. Hmm. So if you're if you're going to dose, does that make sense? I kind of. Let me ask you this: If you were to say take 700 Primo, then what would be a good test dose for that? I would say probably I wouldn't let it go below 400, 350. Okay. Okay. Well, and you could try it out, guys. So up to about 300 milligrams. Once. Yeah, let me know. The more data I can get, the better, because the more I can learn and the more I can pass it on to you guys. All right. Well, listen, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, due to uh, technology, uh, we'll call it We'll call it a day. We still had a good podcast well, there's, here. There's lack of it. We didn't get a lot of all of the questions in. So listen, guys, if you asked a question that we did not answer from YouTube, uh, then comment again on the next episode. We will do our best to tackle it. I can't promise that our internet connection will be stable, but we generally do. We we generally do an all right job. Uh, let's uh, send some prayers to Dave that his wrist heals. He says he's going to do some bench press tomorrow uh, with his wrist wrapped up. He's got a cast on his wrist right now, guys. So, in case you didn't notice, it's not a cast. It's not a cast. It's just a bandage. I think it's a it's a purple cast. I see it, Dave. See it. It's purple bandage. It's okay. If you want to talk about this stuff after the show, I'm here for you. All right. Okay. Okay. Guys. Thank you. For another episode of Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland, I'm Scott McNally. Check out our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. They have amazing supplements. Are you worth good supplements? You are. So buy some stuff from True Nutrition today and use our code THINK. And of course, go to supplementsource.ca and uh, look at that. Eval. Go to go to see Dave. Get some lab work done. Just don't pass out on his table, guys. Dave Crossland, we'll see you soon. Thanks, man.